Welcome to New Hope's teaching podcast. This is an excerpt from our Sunday morning service. Visit newhopepdx.org teaching for notes, worship, and church announcements. Stay up to date with our teaching series and events by downloading our app. Just text New Hope PDX app to 77977. Enjoy this week's lesson. Hello, New Hope. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, and welcome to our service today. You know, light is a pretty great thing. I'm reading this biography on Thomas Edison right now, and I'm just blown away by all the things that that man invented. Uh, He did things like made major improvements to the telegraph, you know, that machine that transmitted Morse code. Um, He started the first film studio in the world, and he invented the machine that played the first motion picture in the United States. Now, the invention that really got him famous initially was the phonograph. It was kind of the precursor to the record player. But the thing that actually made him world-renowned within his lifetime was the invention of an incandescent light bulb that provided consistent, bright um, light for indoors. Now, there were other light bulbs around at that time, but Edison's made big improvements and made it accessible for people. Because not only did he invent the light bulb, but he also created an entire public electricity distribution system in order to make those light bulbs function in homes and businesses around the world. And much of the world went from living in in semi-darkness of gas and candlelight to enjoying bright lights in their homes late at night. One person said of Edison, he carried daylight into the night. Never mind that a little ice storm can change all of that in an instant for us. Yes, light is a pretty great thing, and we appreciate it all the more when we lose it. You know, we've become fairly accustomed to having light whenever we want it, to the point that it becomes a little bit painful when we don't have access to it. I'm sure many of you lost power just a few weeks ago. We lost power in our home for about three days, which was relatively short compared to to most of you, I think. Each morning was a little bit colder in our house, and I can't tell you how many times I went into a room and out of a habit just flipped up the light switch and got frustrated and have to go find a flashlight or a lantern. I didn't like to have to operate to, to live to walk in darkness. It was limiting. I prefer to have light. Yeah, light is a pretty great thing, especially the right light. So we're in this series right now in the Gospel of John called Encountering Jesus. And we're looking at the different metaphors that Jesus himself used and also John used of Jesus um, to describe who he was. And so far, we've seen that um, Jesus as word, we've seen Jesus as temple, and we've seen Jesus as well. And this week, we're going to see Jesus as light. And we'll see that Jesus reveals, Jesus as light reveals to us who God is and who we are. 
So Sarah will be doing our public reading of scripture today, and she's going to be reading from John chapter 8. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Thanks, Sarah. Now we're mostly just going to focus on verse 12 today. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's so much happening in all of this passage right here. And there's so much richness that's being drawn from the Old Testament that I wanna pass on to you. I'm gonna have to condense it as much as I can. But this, this statement from Jesus is one of those statements that you kind of feel like it can just stand on its own. And it might sound really familiar to you, maybe because you're aware of this verse, or, or maybe it's because Jesus actually said similar things in multiple places. So just a little bit later in John chapter 9, he says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then in John 12, he says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So what he's saying here must be pretty important if he continues to repeat it. But, both the, but those phrases aren't just linked with each other. Each one is said within its own context. Now in chapter 8, where we are today, J Jesus seems to say it just kind of out of the blue, but it's very much connected to where Jesus is, what's happening at that time, and what people are saying to him. When he says this, Jesus is at the temple during the festival of tabernacles. Now, just a little bit uh, further back in John chapter 7, it says that Jesus traveled from Galilee to Jerusalem specifically to go to this festival. And about halfway through the festival, he began teaching in the area in the court where the offerings are taken. Now, the Festival of Tabernacles is one of the three main festivals that the Lord prescribed for the Israelites that they had to do every single year. Moses said to the Israelites, three times a year, all your men must appear before Yahweh your God at the place he will choose. At the Festival of Unleavened Bread, that's Passover, the Festival of Weeks, that's Pentecost, and the Festival of Tabernacles, which is also called the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Ingathering. Now, some say it was the most important celebration throughout the year for the Israelites. The Festival of Taber Tabernacles was about remembering how, when God uh, rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, 
Um, they wandered through the desert for 40 years and God was present with them as the Shekinah glory throughout that entire time. And while they wandered through the wilderness, they had to stay in temporary shelters. They were nomadic during that time. So during the Festival of Tabernacles, the Israelites were to build temporary shelter and sleep and eat in them for eight days. Even if they had a really nice house during that week, they were to remember that God watched over their ancestors while they slept in temporary shelters for 40 years in the wilderness. And some of the pictures that you're seeing here are just some modern day ways that people build shelters to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. And God also instructed them to celebrate the festival by waving branches from trees like palms or willows. It was a great time of celebration just after the harvest. And eventually, light became a significant part of the celebration. In the Talmud, which is the ancient Jewish commentary and interpretation of the Hebrew Bible, it says that during the festival, golden candelabra were placed there with four golden basins at the top of each. And four ladders were put to each candelabra on which, which stood four young men from the rising youth of the priesthood, holding jars of oil containing 120 lugs. I have no idea how much that is. With which they replenished each basin. The cast-off breeches and belts of the priests were torn into shreds for wicks, which they lighted. Pious and distinguished men danced before the people with lighted torches in their hands. Basically, there were these huge pillars. The Talmud says they were 75 feet tall, each with four basins on top to hold old oil-soaked clothes that were set on fire, while people danced all around with lit torches in their hands. It produced a great amount of light for a time when there was no electricity. The Talmud goes on to say, there was not a court in Jerusalem that was not illuminated. A person could pick wheat by this light. <laughs> the festival of tabernacles was also interwoven into the fabric of the Old Testament. The themes of the festival appear in each of the major sections of the Old Testament, and it's mentioned more than any of the other um, main three festivals for the Israelites. Now remember, the Festival of Tabernacles was also called the Festival of In-Gathering, as in a harvest, a bringing in, a gathering of the harvest. But this became a metaphor for God in gathering, bringing in his people from captivity. He was going to gather them back to be his people. This is a, a recurring mo motif in major sections of the Psalms that talk about gathering his people back, but also the nations to be his people as well. And this is something that's going to happen far in the future. And it's something that the prophet Zechariah picked up on as well. He says, Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, Yahweh Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. The whole world 
was going to celebrate the festival of tabernacles, this Israelite festival, and to worship God as king. So this festival where Jesus is saying this holds a lot of weight for significant things to happen. Now, not only was the festival of tabernacles rich with meaning when Jesus was there in the temple, but there was also other significant passages from the prophets that give context to what Jesus is saying. So just before Jesus says he is the light of the world, He's saying a lot of other wonderful things in John chapter 7. And people start to say, hey, this guy's amazing. Maybe he's the Messiah. And then others say, no, this guy's from Galilee. The Messiah is not going to come from Galilee. And then right after that, Jesus makes his comment about light. Ah, but in Isaiah chapter 9, it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. All of this language sounds very familiar to what we're seeing in John. Then there were passages like Isaiah 60. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For Yahweh will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. Yahweh will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. I mean, it may have been said of Edison that he carried day into night, but he can't hold a candle to God. Dad joke, sorry. Okay, all right. I know I've just thrown a lot at you right now, and even though it's really just scratching the surface of all there is that's, that's, that could be brought into this passage, but this is how we under the, understand the significance of what Jesus is saying. So picture this moment right now. On what John says is the last and greatest day of the festival, there's been a week of massive celebration, huge pillars of fire and torches and, and dancing and trumpets and waving branches and shouting as people rejoice in the presence and provision in the past that God provided and that, that they're hoping that is leading toward a, a hope for salvation in the future. They're remembering what God has done, and they're looking forward in hopeful anticipation for the Messiah, for the time when Yahweh's light will shine on them. This is not a quiet moment. This is a, this is a brimming moment. And it's in this time and it's in this moment that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the presence and the glory of God with you. All those pillars of fire and torches that you've lit here to, to depict the glorious presence of God in the past in hopes of seeing it again in the future, but it's here right now. 
I am the light of the world. I am the salvation that you hope for. All that God has promised has come to pass, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. By the time that Jesus was done talking in the temple that day, the religious leaders had picked up stones to kill him. Jesus, as the light, was revealing who God is. Jesus was revealing who God is. That God was faithful to his promises to rescue his people. That God was going to rescue the whole world um, as he said he would. That God has come in the flesh to tabernacle, as it says in John 1, with his people. And everything that Jesus did revealed who God is. Jesus said that day in the temple, I speak just what the Father has taught me. So when we're talking about Jesus as light, we must understand first and foremost that that is God fulfilling his promise to rescue us from sin and evil and brokenness and to make us whole again in his presence. And if you're a follower of Jesus, even though you don't walk in the light perfectly, and we'll get to that, you have been rescued from darkness. Paul wrote in his letter to the Colossians, I give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That has happened. We have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. We can encourage ourselves every day with that good news. So that's the first thing Jesus says. I am the light that reveals who God is. But the second part of what he says reveals more about who we are. He says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Although he doesn't say it explicitly here, there's a sense that we are to walk in the light. That's what following Jesus would be the opposite of walking in darkness. Don't walk in the darkness, but walk in the light. This tension, this contrast between darkness and light is prevalent throughout the Bible and pretty common feature in John's writing as well. And honestly, this metaphor is so ancient and so common, I think that you and I can probably just intuit what it really means. But the significant features of it in the Bible, particularly for John, hover around the contrast of sin and righteousness, truth and deceit, and salvation and redemption. And there's a passage in John that captures all of that pretty well. It's from John chapter 3. It says, Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed 
in the name of God's one and only Son. So there's the contrast then between condemnation and salvation. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So there's the contrast between the the, uh, sin and righteousness. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And there we have a contrast between truth and deceit. So if we believe in Jesus, we're not condemned. We're saved. We have eternal life. That's happening now. It's not just something in the future. We have eternal life now. But where we still play around with the darkness is with our sin and with our deceit. Yes, I do sin. I know you probably don't, but I do. So maybe I'm just preaching myself here. But Jesus said at the temple that day that if you know the truth of his teaching, that truth will set you free. But we don't often feel the freedom to live fully in the light. See, I don't like it when the power goes out and I have to fumble around in the darkness of my house But the darkness that Jesus is talking about provides some level of comfort for me. It allows me to hide who I am and what I do. But the light of Jesus reveals who I am. John says people loved darkness instead of light because they're afraid their deeds will be exposed. Darkness, it gives us the appearance of being in a safe place. I mean, it keeps us safe from other people knowing that we don't have it all together. Don't tell anybody, but I don't have it all together. It keeps us from dealing with the consequences of our actions. It keeps us safe from feeling shame in front of others for our sins. It provides a safe place, honestly, for us to continue to do the things we're doing. And mostly, Darkness, it keeps us safe from people knowing us and not loving us. But darkness is deceptive. It doesn't actually keep us safe. It hinders us. It limits us. Just as anyone who lost power a few weeks ago felt limited in what we could do, like, six o'clock, guess I'll go to bed now. When we choose to walk in darkness, we are limiting our relationship and our formation into the image of Christ. When we hold back from others, we we take away the opportunity for true intimacy in relationship. The tension is that we all walk in the darkness to some extent, some more than others, And yet God is continually calling us further into the light because he knows darkness is deceptive. But the light is the opposite of deception. The light is truth. That's why the light of Jesus reveals who I am. Truth is a major theme in the gospel of John. If you just 
get an audio version of John and just listen through the whole thing and you'll pick up on it the entire time. Jesus comes being the truth. He's teaching the truth. He's requiring the truth from others and he's revealing the truth. And everyone else is trying to figure out what is the truth. Jesus wants to form truth in you and me with light, which is his life. Remember, he is the light. And when we follow him, we have the light of life. That is, we experience real life as God intended it when we walk in the light. Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So how do we walk in the light and not in darkness? I think there's a whole lot that could probably be said here, but I just want to give you a few things to think about when considering walking in the light. The first one is the foundation. That is, it is to daily remind ourselves of our security. Remember that Jesus said at the Festival of Tabernacles that the truth will set us free. I think part of what it is that it sets us free from is being dependent on what other people think of us. Instead, we can be secure in God's love for us and in his desire for us to walk in the light. He wants us to live a life of truth, but it's so often our fear of other people that keeps us from living the truth. Pastor John read this passage to some of the staff this last week. It's Galatians 2.20, which is one of the first passages that I ever memorized as a Christian. But he read it from the message, which I had never heard before. It says, I identified myself completely with him, with Christ. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to remind ourselves of our security in Christ that frees us from the fear of what others think. And that's a big part of what we're doing in this season of Lent right now as we prepare ourselves for remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus at Easter. We're We're turning back into the bigger story of God's salvation and finding our security as a beloved child of the Father. Okay, the second aspect of walking in light is trust. What I mean by this is that we need trusted relationships where we can practice the next thing that I'm going to say, which is confession. Walking in the light doesn't mean that I'm going to give you full disclosure 
all the time. There are appropriate times and there are appropriate people with which to have full disclosure, but it's not all the time. We need, tr we need trust with someone with whom we don't have to hide any part of who we are. I would encourage every one of you to have at least one relationship like that. And if you don't, to work on building a relationship like that. I mean, it can be with a close friend, a family member, a spouse, a therapist, a spiritual director. Again, from Galatians here, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The third and final way that we'll talk about walking in the light is confession. First John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confession is a freeing thing. It's one of the strongest things we can do to break the hold of darkness in our lives. When we don't confess, the more we conceal, the more we keep in secret, the more we keep in darkness, the stronger the hold of darkness in our lives. You can confess to God, you can confess to a trusted individual, and we can confess corporately as well, which is how I want to end our service today. You're going to see a confession come up on the screen. And if you're in a place where you can do so, I'd encourage you to read it aloud with me. But if you can't, that's okay. Just say it silently in your heart as we go along. So if you would, join me in this prayer of confession. When we allow darkness to overcome the light, forgive us, Lord. When we reduce Easter to plastic and candy, have mercy on us, Father. When hardness of heart keeps us from seeing and hearing and touching the needs of others, let your grace consume us, O God. When the wars around us are of no concern, forgive us, Lord, and move us to compassion for those who suffer. When our caring is not extended to action, move us to seek justice for our brothers and sisters. We come to confess our sinfulness before you and before each other. Remove all barriers that divide us and let there be no obstacle to our love for you and for one another. Amen. Jesus is the light of the world and he's offering us the light of life. He doesn't want us to dwell in our sin or be overwhelmed with guilt and shame. He wants to free us from those things. We are forgiven in Christ. And those things that we've just confessed, we can now let go of.
And let's praise God together now for that good news.